0: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastik. At The Scholar, we tend to shy away from making editorial statements endorsing this or that political position. But when a claim comes around that's so hostile to a public institution that is thousands of years old, well, we can't help but be blunt. Libraries are awesome. So why choose now, of all times, to celebrate libraries? Shouldn't we always be talking about the awesome non-book-related services that librarians provide every day? Well, in case you missed it, last month, Forbes published an op-ed which stoked so much outrage that the editors deleted it completely, and we can't even link to it. But it argued, essentially, that libraries should be replaced by Amazon because it would save taxpayers money and who goes to the library anyway? Well, a lot of people, it turns out. And the Twitter backlash alone was both funnier and more informative than the op-ed itself, written by Panos Madoukidis, apparently the chair of a university economics department who's never visited the local library. Otherwise, he would know that librarians provide so many services in addition to books, which is what this episode is all about. Contrary to that guy's opinion, neither Amazon, nor Starbucks, nor any for-profit enterprise could ever take the library's place. Because you know what? I'm old school. My favorite part of the library is the books. But I staked out my local library and asked a few other people what their favorite part of the library was. My name is Dorian, and I love the library because when I was a little boy, my mother used to take myself and my brothers, and uh, ever since then, I've loved going to libraries.
1: I'm Becca. There's always good resources, especially at this library. There's a sewing class, which I haven't done yet, but I love that it's a way to like have other
0: offerings beyond just books. My name is Heaven, and the favorite part about the library is the books because they're fun to read. And now we're going to hear from a real live librarian, Amanda Oliver, who wrote a wonderful defense of libraries for Vox, about all of those services that libraries provide beyond books as a community space, a resource center, a computer lab, and simply a place for underserved people to go. She would know why libraries are the best. She's worked at one for seven years and currently calls a branch of the Washington, D.C. Public Library home. Thanks for joining us, Amanda.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So you've been a librarian for seven years now. And as the Forbes op-ed column showed, people have a lot of misconceptions about what libraries and librarians do. So can you talk about like what a typical week looks like for you?
1: There really isn't a a typical week. Um, Other than I always know that I'm going to have a desk schedule, which means that I'll be on the desk interacting with the public for at least two to three hours of an eight hour shift. And that's where a lot of the kind of amazing interactions happen. Um, with patrons that come in of all ages and and all backgrounds. Um, probably 10% of the time when someone comes up to the desk, is it going to be about checking out a book or to check out a book? 90% of the time, it's really them needing something. And sometimes it is very simple, like Googling something and how to spell it. And sometimes it's way more complex. And then outreach is another part of the job. On the neighborhood that I serve, um, there are not a lot of families or kids nearby. So... We do reach out to community groups, schools, daycare centers, things like that. Um, The D.C. Library is really amazing about uh, creating opportunities. There's a really great program that they have going right now where they go out to the D.C. prison system. Um, And we have gone out and helped families when they're visiting family members who are incarcerated uh, sign up for library cards. And we do a story time with the kids who end up coming for that. So that's one example. Um, One of the branches just did an amazing uh, drag queen story time. So it's any number of things.
0: What's an example of someone coming in and asking for something, you know, that's not a book?
1: So that happens constantly. And I I think that's the part that... um, I get frustrated. So I've had a lot of comments whenever it comes up that I'm a librarian. Usually the response is, oh, it must be nice to like sit and read all day or have it be quiet all day. And it's just it's really not that. Um, We're such an information resource for so many people. So um, job applications, that's a daily thing where people come in. And sometimes we've definitely had people who have just gotten out of prison and have been serving really long sentences and haven't been on a computer you know, in 15 years and don't even know how to go into the lab and open up the internet browser and do a Google search. Um, Yesterday I had a woman come in and um, she wanted help looking for an apartment and she just had no idea where to start. She didn't know how to get on a computer. She didn't know how to open any of our web browsers and she didn't know about Craigslist. She just had no basis for how to begin a simple search like that and For people like you and me, most likely, you know, that's easy and we know how to go about that. But there's a lot of helping people with with things like that that I don't think there's other places for them to go to that they know about. And it's not to say that the library isn't about books and isn't about reading, uh, but a bigger part now, I think because of the way that society has sort of changed, is helping people with things like that.
0: Right. I hear it said often that the library is sort of our last public institution, Mm -hmm. Um, because an argument that some people bring up in response is like, well, isn't there an agency for that? Isn't there Mm some place that can go? But is there?
1: There are. um, And that's something that we also do a lot where people come in and they're confused about where to get help. and, And we have a lot of lists that we've generated of resources that we know about. The problem with the agencies is, yes, they exist, but if you are experiencing homelessness and you do not have a cell phone and you do not have Internet access, how are you going to know where those places are? And I think people don't realize that, and that seems like such a simple thing, but they come to the library because they know where the library is. There are 26 libraries in the District of Columbia uh, you, you know, just being out in the streets, you're going to walk by one, you're going to be near one, they know that that's a place where they can come in and get information. Yes, there are agencies there to help them. They're not necessarily aware of those. They're not going to be wandering around downtown, you know, reading signs on buildings like, oh, this person's going to help me find housing. They come to the library, we do what we can, and obviously we point them in the right direction. But that also looks like printing out Google directions, you know, walking directions. Can you take the bus? Can you afford to take the bus? Do you have a metro card? Okay, if not, here's how long it's going to take you to walk here. If we call the shelter for you, they might be able to provide a service to get you there. Um, but they don't know that until they come into the library and speak to us oftentimes. And I think that's something that people don't realize. A similar thing is I had an interaction with um, a mother who came into the library a couple of days ago, and she has uh, two autistic children. They were trying to renew books, and it was about five minutes before we were going to close. And I made a comment, and I just said, oh, you know, you can renew books online. And she kind of like heaved this deep sigh and she said, that's assuming so much. And normally I'm not guilty of doing that, um, but I, I happened to see that she had a cell phone and I was like, oh, she can get on to the library website and renew that way. But she's right. That's assuming so much, you know, that that they have a computer at home that they're comfortably able to access.
0: Yeah. I mean, why do you think the library is such a place of anxiety for a lot of these commenters? Why is that the lightning rod for debates about taxes or the public good?
1: I think there's a lot of discomfort around anything that's um, free. I don't know a better way to sort of say that, but I think if you look at what's losing its funding right now, you know, the national parks, um, the National Endowment for the Arts, all these things that are here for everyone are what we're taking from, which to me makes absolutely no sense. But I just think the libraries have fallen into that. I used to live in Seattle, and I I watched what Amazon sort of did to the community and the cost of housing, um, and it was great for some people. And I had friends who worked for Amazon, and I and I saw the benefits to those people, but I saw the way it negatively affected everyone else. The disparity between the haves and the have-nots just continued to grow. And I don't know. I don't know what is going on in society, but I what I kind of mentioned in the... The articles, it's like a pandemic of wanting to shove down or forget about our most vulnerable, you know, underserved, underprivileged populations, which makes no sense to me. And to suggest taking away the libraries, that's one of the only services that they have. That's free. That's for everyone. And that's not to say I got one email from a reader saying, what about the middle class and what about literacy and she said something about the illiterate homeless and it was just you know so offensive but then my immediate thought was like it's just coming from a place of not of not knowing um and i and i wrote her back and i just sort of said of course we have services for the middle class of course they're included in the work that we do Um, You know, and I chose very intentionally to write about underserved and underprivileged populations because that's who I've worked with for the last seven years and what I'm passionate about. And, you know, there was a word count for the article and it's 800 words. And I was very intentional in choosing to write about the population that I did. Um, But I think there really also is this sort of belief that the middle class is losing everything. And um, it was interesting to read those responses and want to say, like, everything's for you. You know, you already have a leg up. And of course, I have interactions with patrons all the time who come in and they want book recommendations, or they want to chat about something that they read. You know, when I do a weekly story time, there are parents and caregivers from all over the city, from all different walks of life. And that, you know, the library brings them together. Also, you know, there's no, no one feels lesser than in that moment. And, That's such a powerful piece of our society that it makes me, like, sick to think that they would want to take that away.
0: Right. It's one of those few places where everybody of all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of classes, races, you name it, mingle, Mm -hmm. you know, all the programming, all of the services.
1: Yeah. And... I know I can speak for myself and and my coworkers and the people in the system. We treat everyone the exact same way, with the same respect. And I really, I don't know where else a lot of populations of people can go and be treated with the same dignity as, you know, people who aren't experiencing homelessness or, or poverty. My first day at the branch, I remember you know, everybody's lined up outside, so the shelters drop them off or they walk over from the shelters in the morning, you know, and there's usually anywhere from 10 to 30 people waiting outside, and we we unlock the door and they come in. And my first day, I just saw that everybody said, good morning, hi, sir, hi, ma'am, or called them, you know, by their first names. And that was just the most beautiful thing in the world to me that everyone got that same treatment. And I wrote about that, that, you know, I've been there long enough now where I know people's names, I know their story, we check in on them. If we don't see people for a while, I kind of ask, oh, have you seen so-and-so? They haven't been in the library in a while. And I don't know for many of these people if there's anyone else kind of keeping track of them.
0: Do you think that there are other models or libraries elsewhere in the world or elsewhere in the country that are doing new and exciting things to fulfill these gaps in community?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So D.C. and I believe San Diego and maybe Seattle um, are some of the first public library systems to employ a full-time social worker. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I believe San Diego was the first, either San Diego or San Francisco, I can't recall, but I know D.C. has one. And that's made a huge difference, having someone there. And like a a lot of the branches in D.C. have um, what they call uh, peer outreach people who formerly were experiencing homelessness, who come into the library branches um, and talk with people and help them get services that they need. I think that's been huge um, that they've been doing in major cities. Um, And then there's kind of Smaller things, somewhere in California, there's a library system where uh, they've started checking out toys as part of the collection, um, which is amazing for people experiencing poverty or homelessness that their kids can come in, you know, and borrow an American Girl doll. That was what it started out with. I don't think there's a library system in this country that, that isn't already looking how to fill in those gaps, isn't already doing that work just by the nature of what libraries are and who librarians are. And I don't think that people realize that we are at the forefront of equity in this country. And I really believe that.
0: Right. And the forefront of a lot of things, like librarians are trained in how to administer Narcan yep. for overdoses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of shocking.
1: Yeah. You know, it can be defeating sometimes, especially at our branch with the population that we work with um, and kind of emotionally draining and We have so many interactions in the day that we're so used to having that. I think we forget how much of an impact they make, you know, teaching someone how to open an internet browser and get to Craigslist to look for apartments. That takes me 30 seconds and then we move on to the next task. But I think what we forget in that is we just help that person find housing potentially. And we forget because we just do so many things and we're answering so many questions and, you know, it's still a job. We're still trying to be productive and help, you know, the next person in line. But I think we lose sight sometimes of how much of of an impact we have on people's lives. And then sometimes we have beautiful moments. A couple of days after the article came out, I had had a gentleman who had moved here from, I think, Colorado. And he was job hunting and we had helped him with his resume and with his cover letter um, and he came in, and he came up to the desk, and he goes, I start my new job next Thursday. And I, I was like, oh, man, like, high five. And we exchanged this high five. And he, he kind of walked away from the desk. And then on his way out, he said, you know, thank you so much. Thank you so much for everything you did. And it like, It really touched me because it just felt like he was, you know, it wasn't just thank you for helping him get the job. It was like, thank you for being there and being kind. Um, And there's a lot of moments like that. We don't always necessarily get the thanks. um, And that's not what it's about. But in those, those moments, it's like the most rewarding thing in the world to be able to help people that in a lot of ways I feel like the majority of society has forgotten about. Hmm.
0: I mean, how in the seven years that you've been doing this, has your relationship, I guess, to the library or to the work you do changed? It sounds like you came in sort of seeing it as a form of social work, but I wonder if that's deepened.
1: Yeah, I was actually a, a school librarian for five and a half years. So I was in the D.C. public schools, which is quite different than the public library, but in a lot of ways, um, very similar. But I think when I first set out to become a librarian, I had the same sort of misconceptions that a lot of people do. I thought I would be checking out books and reshelving and cataloging and, you know, helping people. But in my, it's almost like I had one idea of what type of person I would be helping. And, you know, that's just not the case at all. So I wasn't prepared for how much of the, like, human services work I was going to be doing. But I'm so thankful that 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 is what it turned into. Um, and I, I think about that a lot when people make comments that I upset me or, you know, are borderline offensive about what librarians do or what libraries do. And I realized when I set out to become a librarian, I had a lot of the same beliefs about it. What do you want to see, I guess, in
0: the future in libraries? Um, you know, in general, it could be anything, social services or, or resources. I mean, some exciting things. That I've read about recently or used, you know, the cool new streaming services at the DC Library. Or I was reading um, really enviously that Finnish writers get a royalty. For every book that's checked out, it's almost as much as for a paperback. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what what, like that that is out there? Right? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we are doing a lot of progressive work, our library system especially. We have so much stuff available online, so many databases. Um, Lots of times when patrons come in and they're getting ready to travel or I see that they're checking out, uh, like, a guidebook to a country, Uh, I mentioned that we have like a language resource that's uh, very similar to Rosetta Stone that's available on the DC Library website with your library card. You know, there's access to audiobooks, there's access to ebooks. We're already doing some pretty amazing work. I would love to see more of the social work side and to see every major city have a social worker in the system. I think that would make a huge difference. Um, There's a really cool new library branch that opened up in D.C. that has a cafe built in. I think libraries will always evolve with the needs of the community around them and that's kind of the beauty of them and I really I do think that they're here to stay. Um, I don't know how well they'll be funded (laughs) and that would be my biggest wish because we're not doing it for profit and that's one of the few places left that's like that. We have links on
0: the episode page to the op-ed by Amanda Oliver that inspired this whole interview, as well as some amazing library resources, including something that we have in D.C. that's quite special, the Punk Archive. Check it out. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and stay sharp.